RLC founder Dave Evans spends time with partners, clients, and friends in the USA talking about all things business. If you are an inspiring business owner, an entrepreneur, a CEO, or a coach who wants real advice about what to do in business today and wants to hear frank conversations, then this is the show for you. Real life consultations, challenges, and ideas from all around the world. We hope you enjoy this episode of Consultivation. You all these error messages. And welcome back to uh, Consultivation once again. I'm Eric Swick here in Colorado and glad to have a couple of other Coloradans with us today. And uh, we all woke up to some snow on the grass. Unbelievable. Early May, May 11th, and we're still getting snow. But uh, we have the wonderful Barb Gay from Watson & Company. Barb. Hi, welcome. it's good to be here again. Yeah. And Matt Aponte. Matt, I don't know if you've been on this consultivation before or not, but uh, if not, welcome back If um, and it's good to see you. Right. Yeah. Good to be here. Yeah. And of course, the one and only Kevin Trumbull, <laughs> our president of RLC USA and uh, coach of RLC LA. Good to have you, Kevin. Thanks. Thanks, Eric. And there's no snow here. In fact, there's, <laughs> there's no nothing here apart from sunshine. Yeah. In sunny LA. Well, there better not be. <laughs> yeah, there better not be. Then we really have a problem. So today's topic is we're going to talk about the problem with recruiting today. And, you know, there's so much that I've been hearing from clients and in the news about, you know, the workforce. And even though there was disappointing news this week about um, jobs numbers in the U.S. for last month, um, I'm hearing it from a lot of people that they're just having a hard time finding people, even though there's a lot of people out of work. Some people are saying it may be due to the unemployment, but um, you know I'm finding and hearing it, and you know I know I've heard it from a lot of my fellow accountants out there. Even finding you know qualified professionals has been a challenge, and so I'm just curious what you guys are seeing out there and what experiences you guys have had. Well, I'm I'm hearing the same thing from my clients, Eric, um, especially in the restaurant industry. Yeah. trying to figure out how to reopen up, you know, now that things are getting a little bit more lax yeah. and they're just, they're struggling with finding people to help them. Yeah. I've heard the same, especially from restaurants. I think part of that could be some of the extended unemployment benefits because that kind of workforce and their income levels. But uh, yeah. What else? Anyone else? Yeah, um, similar thing. I have a few clients in the um, uh, home construction, remodeling uh, type industries. And while that's always been a challenge uh, for them is, you know, recruiting good work, it seems to be harder. I think it has a lot to do also with the prices of lumber and steel that's gone up. <clears throat> everything across the board um, and uh, just made things more expensive and they're not able to pay as much. So it's I see it in that industry or hear a lot about it there too. Yeah. It's interesting you bring that up, Matt, because um, I, I have a client that's in the lumber industry and he said that it has lumber has just become crazy expensive because of the fires last last year. Interesting. 
So it well, started makes, with that. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. That, and I think, there's a, I think there's an issue in those states like California, which um, historically has a lot of seasonal workers. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the tougher line on immigration that um, Trump and, and arguably Biden as well is continuing. Um, that's 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 had a knock back on you know the agricultural sector here um, yeah. uh, and the like. But it's it's interesting though, don't you think that all, all of these are kind of you know you know relatively low paid um, blue collar workers, but there does seem to be a shortage of of, of other of other um, uh, uh, people for positions in accounting, you know, and and that's that shouldn't be driven by you know good employment benefits, surely. Yeah, no, I wouldn't think so. And, you know, it, that kind of brings up, you know, my next question is, you know, how are you recruiting people? You know, are there alternative strategies out there? You know, I think about Barb, you know, we've talked about this before in the accounting profession, looking for bookkeepers. And, you know, instead of putting ads out there, we would focus on certain other professions to see if there may make sense to bring people from those other professions like bank tellers. Um, like servers, you know, that deal with, you know, multitasking. And so I'm just curious, you know, are there other strategies out there that we can offer up to our listeners about, you know, how would we approach this? You know, I've, I know I've done that where I've looked at, you know, I, my wife used to go to the bank every day for our accounting firm when we had it. And she would start up a conversation with the tellers. And she, the woman at the drive up window one time, she asked her, are you looking for another opportunity? And, you know, <coughs> never came on board, but she was interested. She already had two jobs because, you know, working in a bank, you know, they get paid pretty much minimum wage. And, uh, you know, she was doing something else. In fact, I think she was serving <laughs> at a restaurant. So thoughts on that alternative ways to approach this. Well, I've always believed you hire for their aptitude, not necessarily their skill set. Because I think especially in accounting, we can teach them how to do things if they have the aptitude. But yeah. it's difficult it, it's difficult to find somebody who's going to have a skill set of what you're looking for exactly. Because I think the other thing too is we tend to hire, or I tend to hire for personality because it's very unusual to see an accountant that can speak to a client. And we find it's very important, you know, one of the things we do is we want our clients to be able to talk to us and we want to have that relationship. Sure. So, yeah, yeah, yeah I agree with that too. Um, I also think that the whole uh, COVID-19 thing, essentially, there's probably a lot more people that enjoy working at home now. And... So I think maybe a, a recruiting strategy would be if, if there is an opportunity for you to hire and allow them to still be able to work at home because there are some people that, you know, enjoy that or like that flexibility. Um, I think some of the areas I know with my clients where they're experiencing, um, you know, hard uh, times recruiting is where, you know, like in the construction, you can't do anything like that from home. Yeah. and. I think people are just not as, you know, apt to doing that. Now they've had a taste of this flexible work life type situation. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, maybe keeping that in mind where they can, as far as the employ uh, employers go, might help uh, as well. Yeah, they, I, I, I spend a lot of my time with my clients 
asking them about their you know post-pandemic um, policies. Um, so you know, are you going to bring in flexible working? Um, you know, are you going to do a hybrid model, or are you just going to go back to where you where you were before? And what are the pros and cons of those two strategies? Um, and I think the forward-looking um, companies are you know developing new policies to accommodate working at home, and that clearly is is a, of benefit to attracting people. <clears throat> um, because I do think, in general, that. Um, you, you know, there's a big difference between recruitment and hiring. You know, recruitment is uh, recruitment is a kind of is, is a is a is a thought through activity, and it's usually a little bit slow. And you know, hiring slow, firing fast is a is is one of those kind of you know lifetime adages that, that is absolutely uh, real um, and pertinent. Um, but in the current shortages, people are hiring because they're just grabbing who they can get without any thought, like you say, Bob, to personality type, the fit yeah. to the team, are they the right for our company? Um, and people have got to watch for this. This is a big, this is a big you know, pitfall um, in the current climate. Yeah, I agree. You know, I, going back to what Matt said, I read an article that talked about, it was a survey of workers and asking them what's most important to them. And the number one thing was flexibility. I think it was like 55% of the people surveyed said, that's most important to them is flexibility. And I agree, it doesn't apply to every job position, but you know, as we've become more of a technology-driven uh, economy here, there's a lot of positions like that. You know, my son-in-law works for Google and they announced recently he's you know, um, working in New York City. He transferred to a position there last year. They lived with us for seven months and now they moved to New York and it sounds like the office even when it opens in September, they're talking about flex schedules where they're only going to allow 50% of the people on campus at a time. Um, so I, I think that is going to be a way of the future. Um, I think the workforce likes that, those people that can be in that type of environment. So I think that plays into the recruitment picture, doesn't it? I think it does. I, I would agree with you, but I also think it's very important for those of us that are um owners and hiring and recruiting to say to to follow back on what kevin said we've got to have a plan for it yeah. I, I had a team who we in two days moved home and again i've said this probably a hundred times but i would never have guessed we could have made this work now my big struggle now is i don't want to go backwards i want to stay where we are and move forward with it but that's going to take me coming up with a plan for my team as to how that's going to work. And it's been very interesting to watch because those that fought me tooth and nail going home are now the ones that are fighting me about going back. Yeah. So it's, it's all changed in a year. You've got a, you a lot of fighting going on there, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't matter what you do, they fight you. That's right. Have you guys had conversation about that? Has there been anything that you've begun to put that plan together and what it looks like? We've talked about not being like being at 50% for a while when we go back. We've mm -hmm. talked about going back in June. Um, I'm very fortunate because all my team has been vaccinated. And mm -hmm. you know, that conversation didn't have to come up because everybody just decided they were doing it. 
Right. Um, but that's going to be a challenge for people too. But yeah. we've kind of talked about 50-50 and then, you know, staggering days so that people could work from home two days a week or three days a week. Um, and I just don't know how it's going to fit yet. We're, ju we're just, we're starting to talk about it. Here's the other challenge I have. My lease is up at the end of July, so I know I'm going to be moving. So now I'm starting to think, do I move everybody back after a year for a month and a half? Or do I just kind of keep everybody where they are now? And, or, you know, so. Are you thinking about less space? Are you going to downsize so and have more flexible workspace? No. And the only reason why I'm not downsizing is because I want to grow. So even yeah. though I realize we're going to not, I probably wouldn't need as much space. I've, if I have, if, if I grow to 12 or 15 people cutting space, even if half of them are there is shrinking. I, I don't want to feel yeah. tight. I still want to have the same amount of space with hopefully more people. Yeah, I, I think in the I think in the small and medium company market, the the opportunity to save overhead by downsizing is a lot less than people think. You know, if you're a small accounting company and you've got a you know small office block or whatever, um, you know, shaving off two or three desk spaces isn't really going to make a difference. Yeah. Unlike a sort of unlike a kind of PwC where they have offices with five thousand people in. Uh, if they're going to do 50% home working, then there's a huge opportunity to save money uh, yeah. and cut costs. So it's funny you say that because my son-in-law, he really wants to go back to the office because at Google, you know, you get your massages, <laughs> you have food, yeah. you have, you know, a gym to work out in. Well, all that stuff has been taken away. He said, yeah, <clears throat> the food they're going to have, it's all going to be prepackaged. There's no massages. There's no gym facility. So he's not anxious to go back because all the perks are gone. And, you know, think about the money that's having on a, an employer like Google, how much they're saving by not having those people in the office. So, yeah, that, that's a good point. There's an economic aspect to this. I think that's an alternative recruiting strategy. Um, add massages and add a gym to your workspace. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's definitely a strategy. Yeah, how do you do that, Matt, if you're self-employed and you're, you're a company of one? <laughs> I, yeah. I, I expanded my garage. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. I'll, I'll, I'll get the wife to do me lunch every day. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Meals on premises. You know, I, I, I thought I wanted to just maybe change gears a little bit and talk about, you know, so if you're out there and you're recruiting and trying to hire people, you know, how do you increase the odds for success in doing that? Because one of the things I was thinking about, you know, I think Barb, you mentioned it, you know, I've always thought about, you know, I hire people for who they are because it's pretty hard to change who a person is, you know, especially, you know, they've got 30 years maybe of, you know, behavioral development. It's going to be hard to change who they are, but you can always teach them. So I believe in what you said, and I've always taken that approach. Um, the other thing that I've always thought about is, you know, ensuring success is building some bench strength. I know that in the past I've hired and I've had excess staff on board because I did bring them in and allowed it, but that allotted me the time for them to ramp up. You know, so many times, like Kevin, you mentioned before, you know, you just hired because I need a body, you know, 
And so one of my thoughts is, you know, why not bring people in? And I've seen people do this through intern programs, as an example. I'm just curious, you know, what other thoughts you have on, okay, how do I increase those odds of being successful? I'd certainly, when I, when I um, uh, uh, you know, last time I ran a number of companies, <clears throat> and I had a I had a policy that I'd bring people on on probation, um, so they were on three months probation, and uh, at the end of it they'd get a you know a kick up in their in their salary, um, and the other key thing was that you know the norm in the UK is you get a month's notice, well in the probation period it was a week from either side, oh. so if the fit wasn't right, you know yeah. you didn't actually, you didn't you know because interviewing is such a kind of a shallow, flawed process. You're never really sure what you're going to get. But working with them for three months kind of, you know, brings out the the, the good and the bad. Um, yeah. So I always did that, and I always thought it worked really well. Um, depends on the legislation in your state, I think, but it, it sure. works for me. Yeah, and just kind of speaking from uh, a third-party experience, um, my wife is a supervisor at a hospital, and... Um, you know, uh, hiring and recruiting there is uh, is a challenging process as well, especially yeah. since there has to be a certain type of, you know, technical ability um, sure. in her department. But one thing that's worked for her has they bring in uh, PRN or per requested need and they bring on quite a few of them and then they end up kind of cherry picking from those and offering the positions internally. Um, and so having an excess of PRN helps fill the slots and then as a full-time position comes over they can she's ended up being able to pick from the people that are already there working yeah um and offer them a full-time position and that seems to be working in that instance yeah yeah no i think that makes a lot of sense i am also I, i'm also bringing on an intern this summer um who happens to be a friend of mine's niece i mean they just she just asked if she could work for us for the summer because she's thinking about accounting. But I, I think interns are a good way to go because I think you can figure out pretty quickly if, first of all, they can figure out if they like it or not. Yeah. Um, second of all, you know, the she's, she's 20 years old or 22 years old. She technology-wise is far advanced than I am. And I feel like she's going to push us in technology moving for the next three months over the summer in our payroll department. And so that's what I'm using it as. I'm trying to push us forward into more technology, but using an intern to do that. Even though they don't know our system, technology-wise, they're not afraid of it. Yeah, yeah. You're, just, you're getting a cheap IT manager, Bob. That's what you're getting. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought I'd see you as a cheapskate, but there you go. <laughs> no, but I, I agree with what you you're talking about. that. <laughs> I, I agree with what you're saying, Barb, because so many times, how many times have you heard people saying, well, I need experience for this position, but no one's willing to hire me to give me that experience. And I think giving those types of opportunities, especially the young people, whether they're in school, finishing up school or just out, you know, that that's what benefits the rest of the workforce, right? Because that gives them that opportunity. I remember my daughter coming out of architectural school and she found an employer. That's what his model was, is he brought in these young, newly trained architects and they did a lot of tenant improvement type work. It was a good foundational starting point for someone like that. 
Um, when I got out of school, you know, large corporations used to have a lot of management training programs. They don't have them as much anymore. You don't see them. Well, first of all, you know, there's a lot more smaller business in, in the U.S. now. But I, I went through a year where I didn't have to produce anything. All my job was was to learn. It was a great program because it gave me such strong foundation for my career. And that's why I was able to move pretty rapidly through the organization and, and uh, progress because I had that ability to really learn the business and learn as much as I could. Well, and I, you know, you ask about increasing our odds for success too. I think, yeah. I think the key to it too, Eric, is education once you get them in the door. And what does that look like for everybody? Whether yeah. that be in my business, a bookkeeper, an accountant, a payroll person, I think, or even even my office, uh, who who I find my office, I don't know what I would call her office. She's not really a manager, but she probably is. Um, she's my key person there, and I think it's crucial for her to get education and yeah. to have them feel like they're growing once they get there. Because my my goal is to try to keep somebody as long as I can. And if you're not trying to help them feel like they can advance a bit in that role, it makes it very difficult too. Yeah, you know, I think Kevin, you said something a couple of weeks ago about how a lot of times people hire people and they just throw them into a position. Hmm. You know, it seems like we don't always do as good a job of onboarding people. and. You know, we've talked about this when I own my firm and, you know, I know I've heard of other people doing this is just having a regimented program that says this is what you need to do week in, week out, you know, schedule for onboarding them as opposed to just throwing in. I, I think that will result in a higher success rate. Oh, absolutely, Eric. Um, I, I, have a, I have an accounting firm clients who had this problem all the time that they didn't onboard. Uh, and so, you know, I'd be talking to them about a new recruit. They think she or he is great. You know, he's going to do a fantastic job, going to be here forever. And then the next time I talk to them, like three, four weeks later, it's kind of, oh, we're tearing our hair out. And, and you know, she's not doing what she we, we wanted to do. And she seems a bit lost and demotivated. And I have these conversations about onboarding um, and tell them that it's your problem. It's your fault that she's not being productive because you haven't onboarded it yeah. and I think in particular with millennials this is a big issue that companies are very slow to recognize millennials like causes they like to be involved in organizations that are that believe in things sure it kind of goes back to our success framework and and why that's so successful because we get the organi organization to state their 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 um uh, their, their cultural touch points and these are very important to millennials and it's part of onboarding, you know, to get the senior manager involved and say, and this is what we believe in and you're going to be a great part of the team. But a lot of it is about just being involved on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. So I brought in, a, I helped them write an onboarding plan where the senior manager spent 15 minutes at the end of each day with the new recruits, <laughs> just going through what they've learned, what's missing, what didn't you understand? And uh, and they became productive almost you know, after a week. Yeah. You know, because they felt they were being looked after. They felt that they, you know, somebody was attending to them. Um, and and as a classic case of you know the leader as a servant, you know, I made the senior management do these things to help his staff. Yeah. Yeah. And that's no, what leadership is all about. 
That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and I think that that's really important, especially these days. You know, it's it's a lot uh, more rare to find someone who has that long tenure experience in any one position. Right. You know, and they've they have usually a, a collective of different positions that they've held or skills. And um, you know, whereas in, in the past that was you know maybe frowned upon because they didn't stay in one position for a long time that's just not how it is anymore so being but that doesn't take away from the fact that they're not able to learn and apply themselves if they like um what it is they're learning and expanding into so like kevin said having a really good onboarding and educational in, uh, an intentional educational program to help them i think is going to go a very long way yeah. Well, that yeah. even makes the onboarding more important because if you know you've only got a two-year window with somebody or a three-year window, mm -hmm. you've got to get them up to speed as quickly as you can. Yep. Yeah. 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 It's interesting because I had a client who, you know, he had at one point 1,600 employees. Turnover was we, we calculated one time what the cost of that turnover was because he was it was in the restaurant industry, but he at one point had over 100% turnover on an annual basis. So there's also a cost to that. If you can retain people and show them a path of a career and, you know, you know, having the onboarding piece, you know, it, there's a huge cost savings to that too. You know, Kevin, to your point, you know, that, that client that you said, you know, they're pulling their hair out, you know, I'm sure that employee was probably also pulling their hair out and looking at updating their resume and, you know, the last thing you need is go through that whole exercise of bringing someone on and then have, you know, a short time later than leaving the organization. It's costly. Yeah. It, well, I've got a story about that. <clears throat> in my youth, um, uh, I joined this company in manpower, manpower <laughs> services. So our our product was security officers, and we had we had five thousand in the in the in the company, um, and I was a regional director with about 1,500 working for me. Um, and I remember going to the first board meetings, I was a director, um, and they're all talking about how great they're doing on staff turnover, because it's only 132%. And the industry was like 145. And I'm thinking, I'm sitting there thinking, what the flipping heck have I got myself into here? And the, and the CEO kind of said, well, Kevin, you're a bit quiet because you first meeting, that's understandable. What do you think of this conversation? And my first words in any board meeting that I attended were, you must be freaking mad. But it wasn't, <laughs> <it> wasn't freaking. <laughs> and I thought, well, maybe that was a bit strong. But he said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, the cost of recruitment, these guys have got to be vetted. They've got to be uniformed. It, yeah. it, as you said, it's the cost of employment. We must be able to, to do better than that. Uh, and, and to be fair to the business, we put in a quite a formal quality improvement system um, uh, run by PricewaterhouseCoopers. Um, and we got that turnover down to 32% in two years, which wow. the industry thought was a miracle. And I thought, well, that's where we should be. Um, because you know they, we, we were just losing offices because they didn't want to be there. You know, low yeah. paid, you know, no recognition, uh, minimum wage. They just, you know, if, if, if it's the one step away from unemployment to be a security officer. So we try to change the ethos of the company as well, change the culture to say that. Um, and I was, I was, I was a driving light behind this because to me, which of our staff are closest to the customer? 
it's the security officers on site. So they are the, arguably the most important people in the organization. Not the, not the owner or the board or the, or, the, or the general managers, the security officers are. And I did try and change the culture. Um, I was only there for two years and it was really interesting two years, but it was bloody hard work. Yeah. Um, you know, we're always going to employee tribunals for unfair dismissal and, and, and all of that. You know, but, but, you know, treat, treat people with respect yeah, um, yeah. and give them, give them trust. And that's a long way to retention. You know, to get back to this thing about increasing odds of success, you know, one of the things that I've done, and Barb, I think you've done this too, is I've done some, for better word, testing. But it's, you know, I've had personality um, questionnaire type programs that I've used to try to get at what you talked about earlier about, you know, who they are versus what they know. I mean, you know, you can test them on what they know as well, but, you know, trying to get them to understand who they are. And I've worked with a, a gentleman here in the Denver area by the name of Kevin Stoffel, who has a program that I, I really believe in and it's helped. Um, not only identify if they're a good fit, but also maybe where there's some areas that you want to focus on development if you do hire the person, which I think is was really helpful because you're never going to get the perfect person. Is there a perfect, you know, none of us are perfect, right? So you're never going to get that. But understanding where maybe they have some weaknesses or where their strengths are and then understanding that. So I'm just curious if anyone's ever used anything like that in the past and you know, how that's helped. I'd just like to say that I think Bob is perfect, but that's an aside. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Kevin. I agree. I guess my question was, where were those personality quizzes back in my single days when I was dating? <laughs> <laughs> Not sure it works that way, Matt. <laughs> no, I, I, I have used uh, things like DISC quite a lot in my past. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an easy test to give. It's an easy test to read, um, and you do come up with these strengths and weaknesses of individuals, and yeah. you do get a really good assessment of whether they're going to fit the team, and as you say, Eric, what the training needs are likely to be. Yeah, and I don't know if they're necessarily perfect. But if you want to increase your odds of success, I mean, people are great in interviews. They're always the oh, yeah. best they can be in that particular hour or two. But, you know, trying to really get at them. And there's some good systems that, you know, it's hard for people to, you know, game. And, uh, you know, that's why I feel like it's just, you know, gives you a better odds of success. Well, especially if you're trying to build, uh, if you have kind of a smaller business and it's, kind of like a family atmosphere you yeah. want to make sure that you're you're not going to bring somebody in that's going to essentially you know rub everybody else the wrong way and cause friction and tension or drama that could be Absolutely. one way to help with that yeah i agree well and what's really important with that matt is to make sure that your other people it, it's also I, I agree you want them to fit but you also have to make sure your people are making them feel welcome too mm -hmm. and part of the team that's a difficult, you know, if you're bringing somebody into a smaller team like that, you want to make sure that you you bring them into that fold. Yeah. I used to use a program called Predictive Index. Um, and what I liked about it, and it's still out there, what I liked about it was it would not only tell you how they worked, but it would also give you hints on how to manage them. So it would let you know that if you're trying to micromanage or, 
you know, what they would react to well, as far as a management style. And that was nice because I, you know, it was sometimes hard to figure out, you know, they always say you need to know your employee or who you're managing. And so that piece gave me a little bit there. I'm trying to think of the one that there's also one that it gives you the four numbers. I don't think it's, I don't think it's the disc. Well, there's Myers-Briggs. I think Myers-Briggs is the other well-known one, but that's letters, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's one I just, I just took myself about six months ago, and I think I'm going to do, once we get back into the office, we're going to do that one. Yeah, I did one once. I think it was when I was in the corporate world, and it was, you know, you became a shape. You're either a square or a circle, a squiggly line, and so there's a lot of them out there, but it's just, you know, using something as, you know, gives you an edge to maybe make better decisions. So. Right. And you, you've actually got to be careful about how you recruit against these things. Um, I was, in, as many of you know, I was, um, I joined Ford as a graduate trainee. Mm-hmm. Um, and a few years later on, we, we, we always had a problem with um, retention of graduate trainees. Yeah. So, you know, more than half would leave in the first two years. So, so I was part of a, I was part of a working group that looked at this issue. And one of the issues was that basically we were hiring people like us. So if you look at Myers-Briggs, I'm an ENTJ, which is effectively um, a, an outgoing bullshitter. Um, you know, great, great for sales and all of that sort of stuff, because I was in the sales and marketing division. But that's all we recruited, ENTJs, you know, um, extrovert bullshitters. Yeah. And, and, but we needed a different mix of people yeah. Because in sales, you have sales analysis, you have data analysis. You, you know, that's a different type of person that you need for that. Yeah. And we kind of learn from that and put in a new policy to look for a mix of people that fitted into a team. Um, in a, in a, rather than having the tiles stacked up, it, they fitted like a jigsaw to make a more coherent team with different skills. Mm. Yeah. Well, kind of to wrap things up, it sounds like what we're saying. Kevin, you kind of alluded to this is, you know, not hiring fast and firing slow, but just the opposite, you know, take your time, you know, it's, it's a major decision. And, um, you know, you want to make sure that, you know, you have success by taking it your time. So hire slow, fire fast, probably makes a lot of sense. So I want to thank you guys for your participation this week. And, uh, it's been a great session and, uh, you know, hopefully the marketplace gets a little bit better going forward. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Eric. Thank you for listening to Consultivations, brought to you by RLC Global, helping you become a best version business. If you want any help from the conversations in the show today, please reach out to info at rlc-global.com and one of our team would be delighted to talk with you. Go to rlcglobal.group for more information and free content designed to help you.